Miss Sophie Wright, hello. Hi. Hello, lovely to have you here. Oh, How are you? This is brilliant. I feel like I'm in SpongeBob's brain. <laughs> and do you know what I've just realised? My mic's matching the room. <laughs> and and look, this is the only bit of yellow I've got in my wardrobe and I happen to be wearing it today. I love it. So, I love it. Yeah, it's meant to be. So would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you? Yes. Hello, I am Sophie from Manchester, aka I don't want to say so right, DJ So Right, but DJ that so right. that is my DJ name, presenter name. Um so I am a I usually I I do so many things. I usually you go do. off what I've last done or what I'm currently doing on the whatever the next gig is. Mm-hmm. So I'll say I'm a DJ, presenter, writer, and grid girl. I love it. You're multifaceted. <laughs> That's what you are. Irons in fire. <laughs> You're a girl of many talents. And I think to have so many things in so many pies, should we say, yeah. how the heck do you handle all that? Well, I get bored easily. Okay, same. So this, this is good for me. Yeah. Um, and I feel like I go through a lot of, um, I don't want to say phases, but I will be so passionate about something for however many years. Mm-hmm. And then when I feel I've maybe completed that or the love is starting to go from it, then I'll maybe change or something. It'll lead on to something else. So all the things I, I do or have done up till now, have pretty much led on to the next natural step mm-hmm. that I'm doing now. Yeah. Even you say you leave things behind, but I think it's always, you're always doing something. You're always either DJing or you're grid girl. And yeah. I think that's what I applaud because you, I, I, honestly, I don't know how, how you do it all. Oh, to be I mean, to be fair, like, because I haven't got management at the moment, okay. so I'm doing it all myself. I, I'd rather, if I can, for as long as I can, do it myself. Although I, I do wrestle with it sometimes when I think, oh, I, I've only got, as many contacts as I've got yeah like sometimes I think well if I was working with someone then it opens me up to all their contacts and it's that constant you're constantly chasing the next gig or the next booking which Mm -hmm. does get stressful for me I've got to admit like you're a boss girl you're a boss girl (laughs) we try (laughs) we try do you have a favorite side of it as a DJ and all the presenting or the you know, newly published. You're newly well, published I know, author. I know that the whole book world. I mean, right now, like first and foremost, I've always said I'm a presenter because okay. I was a presenter before mm-hmm. I was a DJ um, when I started in radio. And that's something that I felt pretty quickly in radio when people would say, oh, you're a DJ, you're a DJ. And I remember thinking, I don't know how to work a pair of decks. I'm a presenter. I talk into a mic, but... I thought I want to learn mm-hmm. how to how to rock it on a pair of decks. So that's what led into going to DJ school and and learning how to mix. But first and foremost, it was always the presenting. That obviously, if you read the book, which you'll we'll get to, yeah, you'll know <laughs> that I tried a lot of other things to reach that point. Um, so I think presenting will always be my first love, mm-hmm. just because I love talking, I love communicating. I'm a storyteller. I want to ask people questions. I want to be asked questions. You won't shut me up, Jess. I love it. I'm here <laughs> you for won't it. shut me I'm up. Here for it. <laughs> I think at the minute, do you not think DJing is like becoming this trend? Like everyone's mm. a flipping DJ at the minute. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. And your you plaster is a DJ. <laughs> your mortgage advisor's a DJ. I love TikTok and I'm like, <laughs> someone's like swiping a button and people are getting hate at the minute. They're like, you're not a real DJ. I know. It's, it's a very saturated market, uh-huh. I would say, because... I've been doing it now for 
13 years 12 13 years and when i started yes there were a lot of djs but mm-hmm. the, the female dj thing was still a bit niche mm-hmm. whereas now literally everyone is a dj and to be fair there's a lot of events where you could put me out of work and the next dj out of work when really you can just make a banging playlist on spotify mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or let bloody ai spotify DJ. just about to say what your thoughts about ai <laughs> I, I choose not to it scares me i think back to basics keep it simple keep is it always the yeah keep yeah. it human obviously you didn't just get here you've had a uh, interesting career path to say the least yeah. and i think for those who have read the book the nearly girl which i have it was an actual holiday read Thank and i you thoroughly so enjoyed it much. it was like a little escape into this crazy world i was like <laughs> I some of the stories in there so oh. i literally couldn't believe it i was like is this girl for yeah her? it's just so sorry going back to the book it goes Look at me book. I love go buy it on Amazon. I, look, I love pastels. It's unreal. So it's like, and do you know what? Quite quite a lot of blokes have read it as well. A lot of my Amazon reviews are guys, wow. which surprises me. And I kind of feel, I feel like I should do like a masculine cover edition <laughs> for these blokes. I've been sent pictures of like these fat hairy men on a beach reading a book on holiday. <laughs> really really enjoying your book. And I'm thinking, oh mate, that's doing nothing for your street cred. So the book starts way, way back in school. Yeah. And not to dwell it too much, but girl, it was rough. It was weird. Oh like, God. I mean... I always say that like my mum saved my life by taking me out of school when I was mm-hmm. 13 and home educating me because as we all have experienced, people can be, kids can be really cruel and mm-hmm. it, it's such formative years. You, you, things stick, words that are said, they proper, you know, they take a lot, a long time to get over. I think yeah. that whole sticks and stones thing isn't true because it, it that you can carry things, I think for a while and it can knock your confidence and, um, and obviously I was at a very unconventional school, which I'm still glad I went there because I think that was the lesser of two evils mm-hmm. because I would have got eaten alive at a standard <laughs> comprehensive school okay. um, where I was just like doing my ice skating, doing my dancing, very shy actually. I was painfully shy and quiet um, until I got to about... 14 15 and Mm -hmm. started competing and performing more and mixing with older people everyone all my teammates they were they were adults or they were like late teens early 20s so I think that sort of helped me like motor me on to being a little adult and Mm -hmm. finding my own Mm -hmm. voice but I guess I'm still trying to find it you go on to tell you say your mum takes you out of school at 13 which you say is the best thing she ever did for you yeah I know and you then go on to pursue your skating career, your ice skating yeah. career. But I suppose, obviously going on to that in a second, something like that, it, it teaches you lessons. Oh. It's like you said, you don't regret anything. Yeah. It's, a, it's School hard knocks. Yeah. I think with yeah. any performing, whether you're a gymnast or you do horse riding, like any kind of competing, it just comes with that. You've got to have that grit, I guess. And in a way, I don't think I really had enough grit. I was always being shouted at by my dance teacher to like, be, be more cutthroat, want to kill the other girl, <laughs> bring her down, you know, you're on top of the podium, she's on the bottom. And really, I'm just not like that. Like, no. I loved my dancing, I loved my performing, I loved the feeling of ice skating and and I was doing it for me mm-hmm. and I just never really had that killer instinct, I think, which is why I retired 
so early mm-hmm. and started going into coaching and stuff because once I'd achieved like the top that I could achieve kind of nationally, I was like, well, you know, I'll maybe want to earn a bit of money back from the sport now mm. or, um, but as well in this country, I think we're not very well equipped to support young people in a lot of the more quirky um, sports. Non-traditional, or, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, you go somewhere like America or, or China and, and if, if you've got a kid that's talented or shows an interest, you, you've got all the support. Apart from that, you've got the facilities. Like there was an ice rink on every corner mm-hmm. in Canada. Mm-hmm. Like here... We don't really have that many. You've and got old Blackburn ice rink. Exactly, you know. They're, they're <laughs> all <up> Blackburn. <laughs> yeah, they're all like decaying and falling apart. And, you know, we don't have the same facilities as as the, you know, as other places. And so the only option really for me to continue pursuing it at the level that I was, was for my mum to home educate me. Mm-hmm. And which is very common within the skating world. Mm-hmm. Because obviously everyone was saying to my mum, she's going to be a social recluse. Like all her peers are at school. Well, no, all my peers were my teammates yeah. at the rink. So it was great. And I was very fortunate that my mum was a head teacher mm-hmm. and had been a head teacher and was at that time a supply teacher. So she had all the knowledge or the experience or the resources to be able to teach me at home. I mean, I'd love to say that anyone could do it, but I'm I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I think you would need... I know parents do do it who aren't actual teachers, but I think, um, God, I wouldn't want that job. Remember oh, lockdown? No. Everyone no. became an instant at home school. Oh, no. <laughs> Honestly, I don't envy anyone who had children at that Imagine. time. Imagine. Well, I couldn't teach kids fractions. No, 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 no. no. First lockdown, right. living my best life. Second yeah. lockdown, hated it. Every single second. I surprised myself in how much I enjoyed the lockdowns mm. because for the first time ever, it took the pressure off me to be getting gigs and looking busy and being proactive it's like we're all at home in our joggers mm. like it's okay Sophie to not be working and not have something cool to post on your Instagram and I loved that feeling I was doing yoga in my living room every day I was on my own as well mm-hmm. um it made me realize I I can and enjoy living on my own which I didn't really know that about myself until yeah. lockdown it's a bit of self-care so, as well I found myself doing a lot of self-care yeah. And then going yeah. back to real world, it was a bit of a shock to the system, wasn't it? It was jarring. Mm-hmm. And especially like the first sort of few gigs back that I did. And it was just all of it. Oh, and being at a racetrack, I was missing racetracks and, and people. and that buzzing environment. I know. I must yeah. admit, I did miss adrenaline. <laughs> but how can you feel adrenaline in your own living room? Yeah. In hindsight, now, I said to, to someone the other day, I said, looking back, it's almost like it didn't happen. Like, yeah. did you see the photographs of Manchester and the just streets were just empty? Did you ever yeah, see those published? Yeah. It's something when... Like, hopefully, when we all have grandchildren, and we'll tell them, and they'll be like, Sorry, yeah, when we went into lockdown, we didn't, we couldn't cross that line, we couldn't couldn't, go, you couldn't sit on that bench with that person. (laughs) It was bonkers because I was stuck in Dubai when COVID first happened. Oh, a shame, but honestly, right? Because people are like, Oh, nice. I was fortunate enough to be staying with my cousin at the time because I'd been offered a job DJing out there for um, a big hotel chain. Um, and so I'd gone out there, I'd done a gig and I think I'd had the interview and they said, oh, it's not going to start till September because there's this COVID thing flying about. So we're not sure. Let that blow over <laughs> a couple thing. of weeks, <laughs> you know, and then your, your role would start. So I was staying with my cousin thinking about, you know, relocating and starting to look at 
online at apartments and thinking oh, I'd have to hire a car and and how my life would look um but for me I'd spent so much time in LA mm-hmm. um in the run-up to that and LA Hollywood or Hollywood as they call it it's full of crazy people artistic people be you wear what you want mm-hmm. dye your dog pink you know <laughs> it. It, and, and I'd come from that to then be yeah. in this very strict oh, and nature I, I do I love walking through my fields mm-hmm. and greenery and I was really craving and missing nature when I was out there and um so for me it wasn't it didn't really feed my soul mm. and your job obviously must take you to a lot of places yeah yeah you do done. do a lot of traveling is there yeah. a favorite place you've been to or that you love going to I mean I'm I'm a California girl I am <laughs> When I quit radio in 2019, I, well, I left my crazy fiance and my radio show and packed myself off to Hollywood for like 10 months and lived off my life savings. Is this in the second book? That's going to be in the third book. Okay, we'll get there. Yeah, we've got the 20s to get (laughs) through yet and they're a bloody minefield. In the book, you go from um, homeschooled? Yeah. ice skating and then you get cast for the bbc Ooh, was this, big role. <laughs> was this the start of the career do you think i think so because it gave me the buzz of wanting to work in media mm-hmm. i would say um and so then that sparked me off on this path of wanting to be on some kind of film set in front of some kind of camera um working with a crew with people to create something mm-hmm. and produce something whether it's you know, I'd felt that a little bit when I'd done dance shows or ice skating shows, but to feel that when there's literally hundreds of you on a TV set, all with a different role, all with an important role to make the end product and often work in a 13, 14 hour day for just mm-hmm. seven minutes of footage and everything that went into that. And I just loved it. But I was a complete unknown. I didn't have an agent and I'm working with all these people that were like in Coronation Street or Midsummer Murders. My mum and dad used to love that. <laughs> and so it was like, it, it was amazing. And I, the older I get, the more I look back and I think, how did that happen? Yeah. Like, how did that happen? I'm glad it did. Um, and so obviously I tried, I had a good bash at the acting thing and came really close to a lot of things. Um, but, ultimately it came down to the fact that there was too much i wasn't prepared to do mm-hmm. i'm like oh no i won't do that oh god i'm not doing that oh my mum might watch it i'm not doing that yeah and and i thought i'm so done with pretending to be someone else i just want to be myself and that's when i was like presenting mm-hmm. <laughs> just be you yeah. yeah and so then i went to london and like did a presenting course and was running up to people on the street trying to you know, practice my little interviewing techniques and probably scaring a few people in the process. You must have some stories. I mean, you do dabble in them in the book. I hope I don't get in trouble one day for the things that I've written. I've had people come up to me and be like, what's Daniel's real name? Because I want to break his legs (laughs) at how he treated you. And we've still got two more books to go. I know, I know. (laughs) Strap yourself in. I have written, I would say, probably all of book two. Because I write it all by hand. So I started this in lockdown and I just kept writing. Mm -hmm. And it was only then as I started physically typing up the book, which I used as like the first draft, the first sort of edit Mm -hmm. process. Um, And I was getting up to like 70 odd thousand words. And I was like, well, that's a book. 70 odd thousand words. Like that's Mm -hmm. a book. 
And so I've still got everything that I've handwritten since then, which looking at it, I think I have got enough content that will then create book two. I've started typing up what I've written already, um, but I'm not yet sure how far along in my life it will go. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm hoping, I mean, right now I've written up to 2016 and I'm, hustling my way around Ibiza and Miami right now in 2016 (laughs) um and there's a really funny story about which I'm gonna put in book two where I managed to blag my way into an Ibiza radio station by pretending I had a meeting with someone that worked there unreal they let me in as well I don't speak Spanish I was just like hola (laughs) um (laughs) and someone I'd like researched this place and I was like I'd love to work on that station and they they were just so cool and I managed to get several buses across the island to the middle of nowhere it's very like desert like and I'm thinking how am I gonna get in and some guy came out for a cigarette and I just like caught the door and just like tailgated my way in I'd looked on like online to find the names of some of the directors and people that, you know, the I guess the people that run the mm-hmm. managing directors and just bowled in and was like, Hola, you know, I'm it's DJ So Right from the UK. <laughs> um, I'm here for a meeting with Maria. Um, and they were like, Oh, uh, okay, just let me check. I was like, Yeah, sorry, I'm a bit late. Literally, like I my flight. This. My flight uh, <laughs> it was a bit delayed, but oh anyway, oh I'll wait, I'll wait, it's fine, yeah. No, Maria, yeah. Sophie for Maria, thank you. Yeah. And I'm I'm just there like I'm using up a lifetime supply of balls right I now. Love that from you. <laughs> and what came of it? Did you get on the so, station? Yeah. Oh my god. But then like this woman came out and she was like, Hello and I'm like, Hola Maria. <laughs> mwah, mwah. Sophie, it's so me. nice to meet you. Um, don't worry about not replying to the last email. I know you're really busy and stuff. And she was like, right okay so I said anyway I've got my demo with me as promised so and then as I was talking uh, one of them went they were talking in Spanish like this which is a bit rude really isn't it but damn it I should know Spanish and then they said oh you have a beautiful voice and I'm like really Manchester really (laughs) okay and they were like have you got time I was like all the time in the world and they're like can you record some um adverts for us so they stuck me in a booth and I ended up like voicing loads of like adverts and jingles for them um they paid me for it they were like oh send us an invoice and then asked me to come back a week later and I ended up being their I guess British voice of the station that year so I'd do all the um all the all the like jingles and stuff for the club nights that they were sponsoring um so it would be all like Ushuaia Ibiza on bank holiday weekend and so I ended up doing all of that and that was literally just because I, I was ballsy I just hope that I feel like we we can all do it and we can all do what we're yearning to do and dreaming of doing it's mm-hmm. so much of it is just a case of having that the nudge to do it and or even having someone in your life that gives you that much needed little little elbow Mm -hmm. or holds you accountable like my mum always used to do that for me she'd she'd go well have you booked that flight yet or have you sent that email and then when you do do it you actually find actually it wasn't that painful it wasn't that scary and yeah i think no i think i think that's a lovely bit of advice for anyone listening so the nearly girl where's that title explain it to me i think i I think i do understand it yeah thank you because i think a a few people have said that, but once they've read it, they understand it more. Yeah. But just to sort of explain it further is 
a lot of the things that I've done or tried, I feel I've come so close to so many things that could have taken me mm-hmm. on a completely different path. Um, and I feel like I've nearly made it or nearly cracked it or nearly nailed it or nearly, you know, nearly married the wrong person, nearly got the big Disney Channel job, nearly got the whatever it was. Like it, it was nearly, but not quite. And that's something that still kind of bugs me because mm-hmm. I'll be like, but what would have happened if... What what piece of advice would you give as someone who's so experienced in that field? Book-wise, and that is a very new world yeah. to me that I've like delved into. Now, I chose to go the self-publishing route mm-hmm. because it was really important to me to have full creative control. So I've, I've picked everything, like the cover designer that I worked with. You know, I, I've remained in control, whereas you've got to understand that if you do go down the actual publishing route for a start you need an agent Mm -hmm. to even talk to the publishers a publisher won't talk to you if you've not got an agent which I find really unfair Mm -hmm. um and then quite often they will make you rewrite it two maybe three times they'll make you cut bits out add bits in and because that book was so personal to me and it's literally my life story Mm -hmm. but with characters I thought I can't cut any chunks out of it because it happened Mm -hmm. it was part of my life and I just think because it was such a personal project, I thought I I almost don't want anyone else coming in saying, let's make it more like that. Let's get rid of that. Oh, that chapter, rubbish. I'm like, that meant a lot to me, that chapter. Um, So I chose to do the self-publishing thing. Now, on one hand, you get much more royalties, mm-hmm. take-home royalties when you are self-publishing. On the other hand, you're not selling as many because you haven't got a big publishing house behind you. Mm-hmm. So you do have to do it all yourself. I've, you know, I've sent it to people in America and I've sent it to, I plant them in places. I've left them at airports. I've left them in Waterstones in Manchester. I'm like, just read this. <laughs> yeah, read this instead. <laughs> so if you're self-publishing, you've got to be proactive. And one thing I learned is no one else is going to write your book. So like when I'm putting off writing or picking up the pen or I don't feel like it today or it's too noisy, they're drilling outside, I can't possibly write. It's like, Sophie, stop with the excuses. If you don't pick up that pen, no one else will. Mm. So, you know, it did take me a while. And I even sat on it for almost a year because I lost confidence and I thought, oh, it's no good. I can't publish it. No Mm. one's going to read it. Is it too soul bearing? I'm scared. And, And I yeah nearly a year it just it sat there ready but you've you've yeah it's it's scary but you've got to do it and and if you end up going the the publishing um house route and you can get an agent amazing the difference with that is they might say here's a ten thousand advance ten thousand pound advance you now have to write two more books and they have to be as good if not better or i want 50 pages by friday where are they must take that enjoyment out a lot of pressure so you know i guess you you pick your poison and there's there's pros and cons for both um so same with anything books music any project it's just taking that leap of actually putting your work out there a little bit Mm -hmm. i loved in it is when um as a fellow sneaker girl, you, you said you'd, you'd had your first sell. I think you were like 16 or something, your first salary. Yeah. And you took your £100 to shop and yeah. got your night shocks. I was yeah. like, go on, girl. I remember just like spilling all my wages onto the countertop. And it was all like in like pound coins and then a few fivers. Because I was working on a farm. <laughs> and interestingly, my former farmer boss 
from the farm has read it and he messaged me on Facebook and was like, oh my gosh, so I'm loving your book. He said, I feel really bad for paying you so little now. And I was like, don't feel bad. Like no one else would employ me under 16. No you know, 255 an hour. I was balling. Yeah. Exactly. It got oh, me yeah. like shocks, I didn't it? it? I still got this. No, and <gasps> do you know what? Sophie, call me. I, I wish I did because they're back now. They are. They're back in. They're back. I know. Everything's coming back. I know. I'm like, I mean, I'm loving it. But do you go into like a, a do you have like an, an, an alter ego? Like, do you have a, when you're DJing, is it like you become someone else in a sense? I'm just Sophie, but extra giddy. Especially those gigs where you give me creative freedom i so appreciate that that's why i love the porsche mm-hmm. preston gig for the 75 year anniversary like that stage you guys built <laughs> it was, was cool, amazing yeah. i was like i love this um and yeah you you literally just like a little wind up toy like set me off running like i remember you walking in you like, i maxi a little mini <laughs> dress and i was like oh my god you, it's infectious like you come Aww. with this like vibe and but it must be is it not hard like on days when you just think oh, i can't can't be asked today to to get yourself on that level to be able to bring that because essentially yeah. you're bringing the vibe for the whole event yes you're dominating that environment yeah i mean that gig that i did for for porsche was actually um i hope you don't mind me saying just to like be a bit sad for a minute i just found out that my mum had three brain tumors like the week before Mm. and that was my first gig since knowing that since finding that out and at first i was thinking how am i gonna do this now that i know that my mum is now in this situation but then because i love the jobs that i do and whether it's presenting, DJing or writing or at the racetrack as a grid girl, it really helped me mm-hmm. to be in that environment because when I'm at work, I can, it might not be healthy in the long run, but I can completely compartmentalise. Like mm-hmm. uh, it helped show me that I could still work despite what I was going through with my family yeah. life. One thing it's really taught me as well in, in this whole like grieving process is it's made me not take any crap i call it the um could you just so when someone's asking too much of you or more than they should more than what's lined out in we want you to do this and you fulfill that but then they want oh and would you mind just doing that and just taking that there and they start adding on Mm -hmm. what you know taking the mickey yeah Mm -hmm. and now since losing my mum I'm like nope (laughs) and it's almost like I can hear my mum saying don't you let them do that to you Sophie and I'm like you know no mug written across my forehead (laughs) I'm like okay all right so yeah it does it definitely changes you as a person hopefully not meaning to sound like I'm a nightmare or I'm cold-hearted but it's made me more protective of myself I can't yeah I can't even comprehend but yeah you know send my love to you yeah and you're doing a fantastic job every single day because i'm still finding joy in the things that i love to do yeah um and one of those things is of course cars petrol head <laughs> oh my gosh we like, bonded over a good car yes. didn't we <laughs> yeah yeah oh that that peppermint targa was oh, just i know beautiful. she's cute isn't she is it still there has it been no sold? it's um no it's it, the owner still has it she did, doesn't live too far from the center but okay. she, she was in miami and oh. she was walking past um a garage and she saw this uh, mint green porsche and she was like oh go on i'll have a bit of that so she, she came to spec a targa oh. 
and wow. um, yeah, I'd love to drive that car along Pacific Coast Highway in LA. Roof down with the roof yeah. down in all my minty green glory and just blasting a bit of oh gosh i don't know what's funny is no one in my family is into cars really same to be honest yeah yeah, no. yeah. we've just come from planet car yeah we have if you were gonna do yeah. it if you were gonna spec your dream yeah. Porsche, you'd go bald wouldn't you i would I re- in fact after i've done the whole like black on black theme that i've currently got with mine with little pedro yeah pedro the poor <laughs> He's, he's my he's my child my husband and my mortgage but yeah i would go definitely bright but i can't ever imagine being without my car now like it is literally he's like my whole little social life he's like it, it was either that or a mortgage to be honest he just cracked me up this girl rocking up in a two-seater came in with a flipping dj decks on the seat like, like practical into the into the footwell like make it practical hon you know <laughs> no i rate it I yeah love it. I yeah love and it. for me because i am you know i don't have babies boyfriends or pets yeah, <laughs> it's just car. me myself and i mm-hmm. and so it fits my suitcase in the front. It fits my big weekly Aldi shop. It it really, for me, does everything. Just mm-hmm. no one else can get involved. <laughs> what was the first car? My first car was, I, I actually shared my mum's cars cars mm-hmm. for 11 years. Okay. So I passed my test when I was 17. First time I'd been practicing on a simulator for a year beforehand <laughs> at BSM. Um, I was so obsessed with wanting to drive and get behind the wheel. Um, so after I passed, I started sharing my mum's blue Ford Ka, mm-hmm. um, called Mary, Mary the Ka, and Mary was a great car. Um, mum let me decorate it with pink accessories, as it says in the book. I was going through my pink phase <laughs> of let's have Hello Kitty and Babe on board and fluffy steering wheel. And I wanted to look like the pink dice girl. Um, And so she let me do that to a car, which is really, really good. (laughs) And then it was when I was on the radio and I was in like my second kind of proper big girl radio contract. I was like, do you know what I'm I'm gonna treat myself mm-hmm. like so I went to BMW first um because I am a BMW girl as mm-hmm. well in terms of like the racing and the team that I work with but at that point I wasn't I just had always really um rated beamers and um did the whole kind of white two series sport coupe yeah. thing yeah. and and he was called Billy the beamer Billy the Beamer. Do you know what? I've never named my car. A lot of people do, and it's like yeah. I just I can't. Oh, I I love I love 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 naming my car because it gives them a little personality. I think it's like now. what would be the dream car? Yeah, any I, car in the world, endless budget, have what you want. I I have like a dream car, dream car garage in my head. Hit me. Um, so for when it's rainy, snowy, icy, <laughs> I want a Brabus G wagon. Okay, absolute hunking great big like gutsy does about one mile to the gallon thing (laughs) um in kind of like a a stealth black ppf probably there's a little petite gal behind and then just me jumping (laughs) out (laughs) then i always joked and said if i ever left porsche it would be for a ferrari Mm -hmm. But I am getting quite enamoured by like Lamborghini STO oh. at the moment. But I do love, love, love um, a, a four five eight Speciale in white with actually 
gold wheels. Now I know that sounds a bit like, ooh, mm. but I've seen this spec on quite a lot of the specialities and it's almost like a, a subtle gold. It's not like a garish mm-hmm. gold wheel. And then with the white and then they have the little Italian flag color accents. And I just thought that just looks so Italian and so Ferrari. I would love, I would love that. Mm-hmm. Um, love McLarens, but it would have to be a 765 LT. The most expensive mm-hmm. one, obs, obs, um, and I'm, I'm apart from have, <laughs> apart from that, I'm not a, forced. No, <laughs> apart from having the G wagon for practicality reasons, I only ever want a sports car or a yeah. supercar now. After having my Cayman and feeling that mid-engine feel and the way it handles and the weight distribution, I can't imagine driving anything else. Like mm-hmm. quite often, I'll hire a hire car to drive really far to brands hatch if it's for work yeah and i'm i'm racking up so much mileage on pedro and i'm thinking all these boring motorway miles i tell you what i'll just go to enterprise and be like oh can i just hire a car so sometimes i'm in like a proper school teacher car the worst one i think i've had is like a hyundai ionic or something <laughs> mine was it my first car was a peugeot 107 little white one. Classic. Oh my god so i loved it yeah. I l- it was like a little dodger yeah little little uh little go-kart <laughs> i remember saying to my mum like mum i do not want a black box i want to drive this thing and i was oh, like girl you're driving around in a box. one liter manual chill out yeah, <laughs> good for you they're great though those little cars oh they are you can't honestly nef- nothing ever went wrong with it it's no. like a little cockroach like you just couldn't kill it <laughs> <laughs> we're both very spoiled with the um the communities we mix with in the yeah, car world and yeah. uh you get around you get to goodwood i know touring cars all yeah. the time yeah how did you uh, get into all this so i started grid girling probably like twice a year at smaller endurance championships mm-hmm. in like 2012 i was lucky enough to fill in for a grid girl um she was on holiday i was covering her position um for one of the teams in touring cars in knock hill back in i think this was like 2012 and so i covered for her and i was like this is amazing i'm all access all areas at a racetrack getting paid for it i get to be up close and personal with the cars stand there smile have my Mm. picture taken and get paid for it this is great i want to do more of this um it did take me a while to get on with um bmw i think because they are quite a closed shop i I started doing a lot of hospitality jobs for them working in like the hospitality marquees like serving up the food and stuff and which i didn't like my it got my face known around the paddock um and then ultimately then when they were looking to change the grid girls on this particular team a lady that had booked me for hospitality work she knew that I wanted to be a grid girl and I was so grateful when she said oh will you send us some pictures and a bit of a you know bit of a covering letter and we'll should I'll I'll put you forward and see if you have the right look for because you're advertising really as a Mm -hmm. grid girl you're representing the brand and the sponsors so kind of think air hostess always got to look quite polished presentable smiley yeah. um that that's the look that 
that they go for now. It's not like it was in the 90s with all the lycra hot pants. And Although in the past I have done lycra hot pants. You when can't I have was, not been a good girl and done your lycra hot pants. I had <laughs> black and white flag checkered hot pants oh, one year real? at Autosports International in Birmingham. <laughs> Couldn't miss her. I know. <laughs> I, but I loved it. Yeah. You know, I don't get to wear hot pants going oh, to, yeah. go going for to it. Tesco. Give it so it's like, woo. <laughs> so yeah, it did take me a while to get to get into it. Yeah. And the cool thing is, as well, about the way BMW do it, is they have us wearing the merchandise yeah. that you can go and buy on the merchandise stand. Yeah. So when people are like, oh, I love your little bomber jacket, I'm like, oh, thanks, you can buy it at the stand. Or, you know, we're in, like, black skinny jeans, nice branded T-shirt, yeah. bomber jacket. It, it's very wearable, athleisure kind of vibes. And so... It, it promotes the merchandise as well, really. So mm. I think it makes sense as a advertising opportunity for the teams and, and for the, the brands. So I really hope that they don't yeah. phase us out. Mm-hmm. Do you have mm. a favourite track? Ooh, obviously, Alton Park is my local track. Yeah. And that's where I passed my race licence test. Oh, okay. So I feel like I know Alton well because I've done the most laps around it. But then I've also driven around Donington and freaking love craner curves this part of the track that's literally feels like a big dipper i've not been at donington oh it's it's great that was in a in an m5 competition i did that in as well and they're they're dangerously fast actually m5 aren't they it's like don't underestimate an m5 at a red light guys (laughs) just let them go um but then obviously it was at at brands hatch for the porsche festival uh, a couple of weeks ago you presenting weren't you yeah Yeah. so i was djing and presenting Mm -hmm. so it was quite it was quite fun to be like one minute i'm mixing the next minute I'm holding one of these and chatting to Adam Smalley or, yeah. or whatever racing drivers would, would come along. So um, I'm quite fond of Brands Hatch as a circuit as well, although it's an absolute mission for me to get to. It's a shame that British Touring Cars doesn't take me internationally, mm-hmm. but that would be a definite goal for me um, in future to, to maybe be working at an international racetrack, whether that's as in a grid girl capacity or like oh, I'd love to be a monster girl oh that'd be cool wouldn't before it? I get all old and decrepit <laughs> I would love <laughs> to do it. just be a monster girl just once and wear the cute little monster pendant yeah. and you know do a load of sit-ups if I have to wear a crop top and <laughs> like yes! <laughs> six pack draw it on I'd love I would love to do that I really would have you not been Correct me if I'm wrong. Have you worked within F1 before? So I haven't. I suppose I have worked at the F1. I, I was lucky enough to work at the Monaco Grand Prix. That, I think that's what I saw on, on yeah. a yacht for a day. It looked unbelievable. Now that was hosted. I was running a silent auction for charity on a yacht amongst the guests on board. So I'm running around like, hi guys, da-da, don't you want to bid on this? kind of thing while the cars were like whizzing round um that is crazy so I've, I've done a bit of um presenting for for that company and, and they had me uh do the same at the silverstone grand prix mm-hmm. as well um so those are two um f1 experiences that i've had this year that i'm so grateful for because they were both the first for me um and certainly like to work on a yacht i was just there for a day i nearly missed my flight i didn't want to get off the boat I'm surprised. i literally like my work had done, the auction had closed, and I was like... <laughs> yeah, clinging onto the deck, like, They no! were like, should we call the tender? They have these little tender boats come and pick you up from the yacht and then sail you back to land. And I was like, 
And I want my flights in like two hours, so I guess I should. Get... They were like, "So you need to leave the boat because you're gonna miss your flight." Um, I just about made my flight, but only because it was delayed. And it's always near my birthday, and I'm always like, <gasps> "All I want to do for my birthday is go to Monaco." I know. Except it's not that easy, and not I that know. cheap. <laughs> well, honestly, like at the the organisation of it and certain passes would allow you down certain streets but not others really it was such a well-oiled machine like i was amazed i was so impressed the sheer amount of staff and security metal detectors you walking through it was so slick like yeah but you'd absolutely love it have you ever had a racing driver boyfriend uh i've had a ex superbike rider boyfriend superbike that is a whole other ball game and they are slight not everyone but they are slightly tapped in the head. <laughs> I think, do you know what, what though? Say. You watch the cars, <laughs> then you watch the bikes. Yeah. It is frightening. They're like cheating death I, every I feel like you have day. to be a little bit tapped in the head to do I that know, job. I know. It is frightening, but yeah, yeah I take I, my hats off to I them. love watching super bikes as well. Like it, it can be, for me, a lot more exciting than watching the F1 just because mm-hmm. you've got so many more passing opportunities. Yeah. Um, it's like, chopping and changing a bit more i would say than just verstappen winning everything um but yeah i find i do find like like i've dated djs and i don't know i just find dating hard (laughs) to be honest because especially what i do it's also random so if you're talking to someone I, i don't i don't really use apps anymore but it's hard that initial conversation they're like so what do you do? What, <laughs> um, what What is it you're doing this weekend? <laughs> oh, I'm off at the weekend. Do you want to hang out? Oh, no, sorry, I'm at a racetrack. Or, oh, yeah. I'm off to Ireland. Or I'm like... It is quite an antisocial job, isn't it, yeah. I suppose? Well, it's not. It's so social because you're always around you everyone. lots of people. But personally, but yeah, yeah, it must be difficult. Yeah, I, I do find that hard. But then I'm just really happy, like, being, being, being free yeah. to go where I want, when I want. Mm-hmm. And I don't have anyone to explain myself to. Like, I love that. Like, this week, I'm dressing up as Batgirl. <laughs> and I'm going to Dublin to DJ at the Cannonball. Just because. So, I've got a Supergirl and a Batgirl costume. Have you not decided? I'm going to pack them both, yeah. I think. Well, then Batgirl to Pedro. You're right. You, you must have so many stories that we could sit here and discuss all day. But oh. as a female in the automotive industry, what piece of advice would you give to a budding young female who wants to get involved? Ooh. I've seen it more in recent years in touring cars. We have got some awesome female mechanics. They're just amazing. Um, um, so I would say just do you and but really, really know your stuff because I do feel we maybe have to work a little bit harder. So as long as you're always going the extra mile and can hold your own in a male-dominated environment and, you know, and guys are great. I'm not slagging off guys at all. I I love work, kind of being one of the lads in a way Um, because I guess maybe maybe I'm a bit of a tomboy and so I, I feel really at home in that environment and... I'm really lucky that all the guys that I work with and have worked with have just been awesome. So I think as long as you can put your differences aside and really know your stuff, you've got nothing to worry about. I agree. I think there's always going to be someone in the room who knows more than you, yeah. but you've got to have the confidence in yourself yeah. and just take it all in. And if, if you don't know, you don't pretend to know because there will be someone who corrects you. <sighs> no. You've just got to be confident, have confidence yeah. in yourself. And it, like, if you enjoy doing it, don't be afraid to do it. Just like, like we yeah. said before, just give it a go and yeah. see what happens. Give, give it a whirl and see. So who knows where we'll end up next or what, what we'll end up 
doing next? Never know. Really. What's on the bucket list? What's uh, um, what you aim, what you're hoping to achieve in the coming years? So I definitely want to, as I get older, I should say, and maybe get as I get more deaf, I would like to be doing more presenter gigs than DJ gigs. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, I love any gigs and I'm happy for any gigs, but if I could be averaging more presenting ones than DJ ones, um, I think that that'd be great. And then uh, in terms of the book, I really do want to obviously get book two out and then start writing book three because I'm I'm adamant it's going to be a trilogy. I've said on record in multiple places, it's the first of a trilogy. It has to be. It, I've got to get that third book out within the next few years. And so I really want to to like follow that through. And then in my like big dreams, I just want Netflix to ring me <laughs> and be like, Soph, your life is weird and crazy. We're going to make it into a series. And can you help us cast it? I'm like, yeah. Absolutely. That, that would be like my ultimate goal. And then like countries and stuff I, I would love to live in america at some point um because that would just stretch me again and open my eyes again because we can get a bit comfy where we are yeah no, no great things growing comfort zones they do not so favorite saying <laughs> and if anyone who doesn't follow sophie i stress you because your career is just blossoming at the moment Aww, thank you. and i wish you all the best and thank you thank so you. much for coming today it's been amazing jess thank you and no, thank you so to much. our lovely yellow room <laughs> Thanks, <Shelley> room. <laughs>